The Gospel reading tonight is from Mark, chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. On that day, when evening came, he said to them, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with them. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? How is it that you have no faith? They became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? The word of the Lord. The first part of the book of Mark has boats all over the place. Somebody gets into or out of one about 19 times in the first eight chapters. In one verse, Jesus immediately got into a boat. Two sentences later, and getting into the boat again, Jesus finds his disciples in a boat. When the crowds are getting too close, he gets into a boat. It's like boats are everywhere all the time, and this this might not be that remarkable if you live in Jamaica or in the land of 10,000 lakes, but this all takes place in Israel, and it has like one lake. For a pretty deserty place, there are, I think it's safe to say, an inordinate amount of boats in Mark. So it makes you think about boats, and there's actually a lot to think about when you think about boats. You could practically just say boat, and it's a potent enough image to keep some people thinking for a long time, people like my husband Jim, who has been painting boats for 30 years. A boat can be a metaphor for an enormous variety of things, hope, despair, the precariousness of existence, the voyage through the water, and then there's water which is one of those things that can also mean just about everything. The sea. The sea is deep and dark and vast and full of the unknown. The first time we took Olivia, my daughter, to the ocean, she was just dreading it. I think she was five or six, I can't remember, but but I, before when I kept bringing it up and I'm talking to her about how great the ocean is, trying to get her excited about it, but she wouldn't have any of that. She'd go into this thing where she would start whimpering and saying, I'm so scared, I don't want to go. And I got a little bit exasperated, honestly. Because it seemed to be, to me, that she was doing this sort of feigned drama kind of thing, which she's good at. Um, And sometimes it's charming, and occasionally it's a little irritating. But I just try to comfort her. Olivia, it's not scary, it's beautiful, you're going to love it. And Miles, her good older brother, said, Olivia, the sharks are miles out. (laughs) 
and they never come close, and you never see one, which I actually realized wasn't entirely true. People do get bitten by sharks sort of regularly at the beach where we go. And so that got me thinking that maybe Olivia wasn't doing this feigned drama thing after all. Maybe she was expressing an archetypal fear. She asked me if there were going to be octopuses. It's the freaking ocean. She'd never seen it. She could only imagine the ocean is actually full of all sorts of weird and scary creatures. It's true. So then I changed my tactic a little. I said, you know, Olivia, sometimes it seems scary before you get there, but once you get there, when you're just imagining it, it's scary, but when you get there, it's beautiful. Which I thought seemed sort of profoundly true, like a metaphor for our fears, you know. Our biggest fear is we, it's scary before we get there, and then you do it, and, and it's not as bad, and I thought I was being a little bit profound, but then I almost immediately realized how profoundly untrue it could be. I mean, the ocean is beautiful on a nice, clear, still day. But what if there was a really bad storm? And what about being on a boat on the sea in a really bad big storm? And the waves are rushing over the side of the boat, beating into the boat. And the boat is filling up with water. And what if Olivia was there? It seems really scary until you get there. But when you're there, it's not scary. It's actually potentially one of the most horrifying things I can imagine. Olivia, my sweet daughter, on a boat, in the sea, in a terrible storm. Are there people who wouldn't be afraid? The boat, it promises you safety, but it leads you to death. I hate the boat. I'd like to be the person, the kind of person, who wouldn't be afraid in a boat on the storm. But I would be afraid. So this is where Jesus and the disciples are at in this story. The wind and the rain are beating into the boat. The waves are so loud. The captain is having to scream directions. People are tying themselves to lifelines. You know it's really bad because the disciples who were expert boatmen, experienced fishermen, they're really scared and they think they're going to die in this one. It was a bad storm. Of course they're afraid. It's not at all hard to imagine that they would be afraid. But what is hard to imagine is a guy laying there, sleeping through it all. It's almost impossible to imagine. People don't sleep through this kind of a thing. Huge waves, the boat heaving, it's... I can't even imagine it unless I think of it sort of cartoony, actually. Where some character like Jughead or Yogi Bear just keeps snoring through some sort of craziness. It seems like they pull this stunt in cartoons all the time. Like there's someone sleeping and then they fall off the back of a truck and they're still snoring. Or out of a window and Z's are coming out of their mouth. So I don't know, but... There's something about this story in Mark that seems a little bit funny to me, which makes me look at Jesus from an interesting angle. Like, who is this? Rolling back and forth, sliding from one side of the boat to the other, 
and he keeps snoring and sleeping, water's pouring over the side of the boat, dumping into his face. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying it's a little bit odd. The disciples here behave much more predictably. They're a little panicky. And maybe at first they didn't want to disturb Jesus because they wanted to make sure he got his sleep. But eventually it's like, this is ridiculous. And they shake him awake. And they say, do you really not care if we die? Come on, help us. So then what? Jesus opens his eyes one at a time and wipes the drool from the mouth with the back of the hand and shakes the sleep off. And, and then he throws his shiny red cape back and raises his right arm and some thunderbolt issues from it. And suddenly the storm stops. And then, in his superhero voice, he asks them, Why were you afraid? Have you no faith? And all the disciples gather together, wowed by his sheer power, and ask each other, Who is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? But I mean, really, Jesus isn't much of an awesomely powerful superhero-type guy. If he could even be said to be a hero at all. Well, I don't think that hero is a good word for him. But sometimes this is sort of taken to be the point of the story. The disciples ask, who is this? And the answer is, the kind of God who the sea and the wind obey. Awesome. But this doesn't really actually seem like a very accurate reflection of who Jesus is generally in the story in Mark. What strikes me most about the whole passage, I think, is the question, who is this? I mean, there's the disciples, they've been traveling with him, but they aren't quite sure. Who is he? I think it's a big question. I think it's maybe an unending sort of a question that is never completely settled. Maybe because it's all in all a little bit undefinable a little outside most of our frameworks for even understanding, Jesus eludes definition. And maybe that they're even asking is an indication that they do have a little bit of faith. Because faith is a little more like a looking, curiosity, questions, more than a knowing. I don't think that having faith means that you have the questions settled. And they may have a clue here, even the wind and sea obey him. But what about three minutes earlier, when their savior was sleeping on a cushion in the boat while the water was coming over the edges of the boat? I mean, what about when people are scared to death of dying and may die and do die and they're bailing water and battening the sails and he's sleeping? It's like there's one way that you can read this story where it's all resolved in the end. Their fear, their lack of faith. The whole story is resolved in the fact that in the end they meet the one whom the sea and the waves obey. But really in the end, does that turn out to be who Jesus is? I think the whole story wraps around the question. And I don't think the answer is so simple. Or so singularly, oh, he's the one who the wind and sea obey. Of course, 
the one who can make everything right in the end by awesome displays of power. I don't think that's the answer because I've read the whole book of Mark. And it also doesn't seem to be existentially true to me. I mean, it just doesn't seem true. I've personally never met a God like that. I don't have any experience of a God that makes everything right by awesome displays of power. A God that makes the storms go completely away. I mean, every day boats go down, there's horrible storms in the world and in people's lives and in their hearts and minds, and people go down into the waves and they drown. Is that because Jesus wasn't in their boat? If they had Jesus in their boat, if you have Jesus in your boat, then you have nothing to worry about. Don't be afraid. He'll charge out of the stern and off his little cushion he's been sleeping on, and and bam, like Hercules, he'll make the storm go away, and you'll be okay. Well, I don't even think that the Greeks really believed in those sorts of gods, in Hercules. And I don't think that's what faith is at all. Like, hey, you got Jesus in your boat? Better get Jesus in your boat if you want a dry boat. It isn't like they asked a question, who is he? And the answer is, he who the winds obey. It's all a part of the question. What kind of God is this? In the first half of Mark's gospel, Jesus keeps healing people and saying to them, don't tell anyone. He keeps telling everyone to keep quiet about whatever the power is that he has. And maybe it's because if they said anything, it would be all about how Jesus was powerful, beyond all imagining, how he alleviated suffering, how he cured sicknesses and made everyone feel better, and thought that might be a little bit true if they heard it. It's not wholly true. It's not by awesome displays of power that God heals the world. Obviously. Just look around. Just read the end of the book of Mark. But okay, so in the first eight eight chapters of Mark, there are boats and boats and more boats everywhere, boats, 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 and then Jesus either sits in a boat or he's waiting for a boat or he walks on the water. And then at the end of chapter 8, things turn. Jesus tells everyone that he's going to suffer and die and be rejected, and after that... Not one mention of boats. I think that's when he tips the boat over. So he's not walking on the water anymore. He's not sitting on the boat all dry. He's going in. He's going under. He's taking the plunge. Sort of suddenly in the second half of Mark, it's not so much about miracles and power and healing and magnificence. It's about suffering. Things shift from Who is he, the one who the wind and sea obey, to who is he, the Messiah who is going to die? Who is he that these things could go together? The disciples end up looking pretty dense in Mark, like they never figure Jesus out. They never get it. They can never really answer their questions. But, I mean, they've got a lot to deal with. 
What a thing that they must go through following this guy. I mean, and who can really ever answer the questions? First, he made the wind and sea obey him. And then he drowns in it, sinks. He displays no power at all at the most crucial seeming moment. He's their savior, but I mean, look at him in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's the night before he's going to die. And he sees it coming. And he is afraid. Just like the disciples were afraid in the boat. He asked them to stay awake. Don't they even care if he perishes? It's almost the exact scenario reversed. Jesus goes and he prays desperately that if it's possible, he won't have to die. And when he comes back to find his friends, he finds them sleeping. In the boat, they asked him, don't you care if we perish? And in the garden, he asked them, could you not stay awake for an hour? What kind of a savior is vulnerable like this? Scared, sad, crushed. Not so unlike the disciples on the boat in the panic. Even the wind and sea obey him, but there's no bam, pow, now. There's no throwing the red cape back and raising his right arm. It goes from the disciples pleading, don't you care about us? To Jesus on the cross crying out in not dissimilar fashion, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Who is this? I mean, really? In the beginning, the crowds are always pressing upon Jesus. The disease wanted to touch him so they would be healed, and he wants the disciples to get him a boat ready. He wants a boat there to get into so that all this sick and clamoring, diseased masses who are seeking healing won't crush him. In the second part of the book of Mark, I think he tips the boat over. He gives up the boat. No more boat. Now he's just going to be with all those drowning sailors. He's going into the deep. Maybe awesome power is just not the way to save the world. Maybe the way is more like love. And love isn't like making everything better. Love isn't like stopping the storms, not really. I mean, what do you need in a lover, in a relationship? Thunderbolts? Or someone who knows your soul? Someone who knows your fear and your need and loves it and never leaves you alone. Never in any circumstance, any storm, not the deepest, darkest bottom. What's essential to love? Awesome displays of power? It doesn't seem like it. A God who calms the storm from inside a boat? Or a God who'll go under the water, down into the depths even, a God who will become vulnerable for love. 
This is the body and the blood of Christ given for you in love. 